morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I'm Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Charlene Walters. She is the author of Own Your Other and The Startup Within. She has a BA in English from the University of Connecticut, an MBA from St. Thomas University, and a PhD from North Central University. In this conversation, we talk about criticism and forgiveness, her affinity for writing, and what the doctoral process was like for her. We talk about her inspirational women series and a few of her many article contributions. We talk about her memoir, Own Your Other, which was written partly as a response to her husband's tragic passing. I am proud to have made Charlene's acquaintance. She is an intelligent, kind person. She is powerful and great and is truly an inspiration. I thank her for her time, mind, and heart. So without further delay, this is a portrait of Charlene Walters. So when I originally, you know, um, went to get my bachelor's, I was really into writing in English, and that was always my passion from early on. I also considered psychology, and I always sort of liked marketing and anything creative, but didn't really sort of know it yet, I think, at that time completely. So English was always my focus. It was something that I worked on with my grandparents when I was young. I worked on writing with them, and I wrote a book when I was in second grade that my teacher wanted to publish. So it's just been a passion of mine from a very young age. So ever since you were young, did you feel like people sort of told you, hey, you're pretty good at this? Have you always felt like a good writer? I have. I've always really loved it. It's always been something that I enjoy doing. And it's funny how I've deviated from it over the years, but you find yourself always coming back to those things you really love, right? And you're really passionate about. They always kind of circle back. So I think no matter what career you end up with, you find a way to bring the things you like into it. An English degree, it sounds like one of those degrees that's um, obviously varied. You can do you can do uh, creative writing or uh, manual, you know, like uh, writing a manual for a computer or something. Uh, right. But it's such a it's a very foundational degree in the sense that it could you could probably branch out to anything. I would uh, assume that your skills and all the things you picked up from the English degree have transferred into your marketing and whatever pitches you're you're doing or however uh, you've reached out to uh, clients and things. Do you feel that your degree has pretty much served you your entire career? I would definitely say yes. Writing is definitely a useful skill that will serve you anywhere. I after I graduated from undergrad, the first major position that I had was a sales position. And that's sort of where I started developing more my love of marketing and business and really found out about that side of myself. And so from there, I kind of transferred over and got my MBA. But the English has always been something that has really served me well and enabled me to communicate well and it's also even when I wasn't directly using it a lot in certain positions, I still had sort of that creative outlet where I could write. Yeah. So did you 
you know, you've written at least one book. I, I'm not sure if you're if you finished your second book already. Did you always know that you would end up writing a book someday? Was that sort of in you subconsciously or was it a happy accident by the time it, it yeah. came around? So I've always wanted to write. It's always been a goal of mine to write a book. I started a book. I probably got three quarters of the way uh, back when I was in a marketing position. I started writing kind of a fun fiction book, but I, I never finished it for whatever reason. I joined a writing group through Writer's Digest, and we would all kind of pass back and forth sections and give each other feedback and that was a project that, you know, I really enjoyed. But for some reason, I think life just interrupted me and I let it be. And then, you know, when I had more to write about, I think when I had a bigger life experience, I thought that's really what I want to write about, because it's something that I think can really help a lot of people. And it's my story. And it was really I really felt like I had something important to say. Right. So that really launched me on writing that book. And from there, I the memoir from there, many people told me, you know, you have so much experience with entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs and business and marketing. You should really write a business book. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I do so much business and marketing writing for my work. I create courses and curriculum. And I thought, oh, that's you know, that's different. I mean, it's something I do every day. And I decided, okay, I'll take their advice. And so I actually wrote that second book. And this time at home during the pandemic was actually good for writing because I wasn't running around everywhere like normal. <laughs> and I was able to finish the second book. So actually, both books are finished now. Wow. Are they uh, set to come out this year? I'm still in the publishing process. So I'm looking for an agent. I am decided after much back and forth to go to the traditional route. So I'm still kind of in the process of trying to get an agent. And, you know, that takes quite some time. <laughs> so right. we'll see where I end up. But we're, we're hoping uh, I'm hoping to have that set into motion by the end of this year. Yeah, you're you're hoping to find a, a publisher um, that. Yeah. You know, nowadays, I wonder, I, I think Amazon, for instance, has this do it yourself. I'm not suggesting this. I'm just saying that I think I, my uncle did this. They're, they have this self-publishing uh, feature, I, apparently on their website, where you basically just upload the text in some way and you make certain decisions and you can like self-publish. What do you think? I know this is a little off script, but I'm curious what you think about it. What's the benefit of self-publishing as opposed to finding a publisher? So, you know, there are so many different opinions about this and so you can either go self-publishing with a traditional publisher or go with a hybrid, which is sort of a combination in the middle where you pay them and they sort of do uh, all of the legwork for you. They put everything up. They hire someone to do your cover. They hire someone to edit your book. I think, you know, I think it's all good. It just depends on your goals. And so in my heart, I had my mind and my heart set on that traditional Path, mm. But that's a much longer path. <laughs> and so I guess it depends at what point I decide, OK, this path is too long and I do it myself. I think <laughs> it's all good. But, you know, it just depends. That was just in my mind that that's what I really wanted to try first before I went with self-publishing. And if I do decide to go self-publishing, which I think is great, too, it would just, you know, involve 
hiring different people to help me with the cover. And uh, I've already had someone help me edit the first book. And uh, so it would just be a, com- you know, me doing that instead of having someone else do it for me. I think yeah. there's pros and cons to both and in all of it's good. Just whatever, for whatever reason, I'm being really stubborn about the traditional path. So we'll see where that <laughs> Well, I, I have faith in you. It's, I, it, it, your, your writing is so well done. Just, I've read a bunch of your articles. Um, I, I can't imagine it won't get picked up. So I, I'm waiting for that to happen for you. I was curious Thank about you. your, uh, your PhD. So you went to North Central University and I'm just curious. All I ever hear about the doctoral process is that it's grueling. It's intense. Yeah, you're, you're, there's no social life. I mean, what was your experience, the typical experience or, you know, how, how was it for you? Yeah. So I think, you know, I took a number of courses that was all, all pretty straightforward. You could work at your own pace, which was wonderful with that program. I think when I hit the dissertation phase, that was the grueling part. I just through no fault of my own, I had several uh, chairs change. So every time that happened, I sort of got set back a bit and it just felt like it went on and on. You know, you had to revise something, do something else. And for whatever reason, I decided to go back and get my Ph.D. when my first daughter was one year old, one year old. And I thought, well, the baby's one. What can I do now? <laughs> you know, Which might not have been the best idea. And then I also while I was getting my Ph.D., I had a second child. So. I had toddlers. I was working on the Ph.D. And then my husband passed away while I was mid Ph.D. And I kind of thought to myself, there is just no way that I can finish this. Like there's just, you know, I'm working. I've got two kids. This has happened. And I'm never going to, you know, I told myself, forget it. There's just no way possible. And I just really hung in there and stuck with it. It probably took me longer than most, but I did it and I was so happy about it. It felt like such a victory for me after, you know, so much kind of grief and setback. Wow. Uh, do you think you, you seem like a very strong woman anyway, but I'm curious, was it sort of a fork in the road at that point? You know, if you decided to stick with it, you would be, you know, legendary and powerful at the end of it. <laughs> but if you didn't, do you think your life could have went a different way? I really believe in education, obviously, or else I wouldn't keep going back. And I and I do think with every degree that you get, there are more opportunities that come about. And definitely I've gotten positions that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise if I didn't have the doctorate. So I think, yes, that I didn't realize it probably at the time. But if I had decided not to, it would have led me in a different direction, certainly. Is a PhD, to you, does it seem like the golden ticket on a resume as soon as an employer sees that? It's like, yep, I want that person. Do do you get that sense that you have this bidding power just because of the PhD alone? Not necessarily. (laughs) I guess it depends on the employer. And so in higher ed, which is what I've been for, you know, the last, I'd say, good 15, 16 years, I definitely a doctorate does more for you in terms of position. It depends on your field. In some, it wouldn't make a difference. In some positions, it really would. I think definitely in higher ed, you have more opportunities with a doctorate than you would otherwise. Uh, and it's also now that you're mentioning it, it's um, there are probably a lot of people with PhDs 
it around you, I would imagine. So it's not like, uh, you're, I don't know, let's say a sales manager or, or, or how can I say this? I wonder what's more typical. Here's my question that there would be a PhD in a university or in some business. I, I'm assuming more than likely, um, you see more PhDs at in higher ed. So, so yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, I thought that was interesting. Basically, I feel like so many people want that PhD slapped on their name. Obviously, it's a prestigious <laughs> title, and I don't fault those folks. Um, so I was just curious about your um, your experience with that. So yeah, it it really depends on the field. Definitely, there's some fields it's definitely better, and it's always that's another thing that's always been a goal of mine. I think originally I had thought about getting uh, a degree in organizational behavior or becoming an industrial psychologist. So I sort of always had it in my head that I wanted that doctorate. It just mm. evolved over time, exactly what I pursue. Wow. You said industrial psychologist. What is that? A psychology person who studies people who work in industry or what is that? Yeah, they work at a corporation more more or less and, and they work in, in business. It's more really based on organizational psychology. But I deviated. I sort of have moved, you know, as with anybody else over time, you sort of change what you're interested in and what you decide to go for. Yeah. Your uh, your your research, you mentioned on your website that it involved consumer Internet behavior and analyzing why consumers purchase on one site versus another. What were some of your findings? Can you recall to those to that research? You know, what sort of things did you find out about human behavior and what causes a person to buy on one one website as opposed to another? So, yes, certainly. I looked at a number of factors, including peer reviews, the aesthetic quality of the website, the security of the website, as well as I looked at all the factors by gender. And really the number one factor that influences somebody to buy from one website versus another are the peer reviews, like the five star reviews you wow. see on Amazon. <laughs> that was the number one. And that was for both genders. So it's really strong. But we, we sort of know that anyways intuitively. But it was cool to see that kind of play out very strongly in the research. That's so interesting because you know what? That probably is the most, uh, that's probably the single factor that I pay attention to most as a consumer. Like if I'm, right. if I'm looking at, Oh, what headphone, you know, I'm going to buy these headphones for 20 bucks I, or whatever. I immediately go to the reviews and if there it's, and it's so interesting how sour I could be on a product just from a couple bad reviews. So I don't, you know, whether, whether they're correct or not, my, intuition as a consumer is to sort of be worried oh what why did these people say it was so terrible and give it one star it, it at least makes me weary of the product whether the person is being accurate or not so i think that is so interesting that that's one of your findings uh, about consumer purchasing it yeah that so you went into that research with a hypothesis but you i assume you didn't force it it, it just turns out that what you guys found out, you sort of already knew. Right. I mean, that, yeah, I I, I wondered really whether it would uh, vary by gender was really the big hypothesis, mm. and it really didn't. It was consistent. You know, there was a slight variation in the percentages, but really they fell exactly the same way for both. <laughs> so it was super interesting to see how it ended up. 
During your, I would imagine it would have happened during your PhD, maybe in some general ed for uh, your your bachelor's, but did you have to take any psychology or sociology? I did in my bachelor's and also in my PhD, more organizational behavior type of classes. And I initially started as a psychology major before I switched to English. So I've sort of always been interested in consumer behavior or behavior in general, <laughs> human behavior, and then consumer when I got to my PhD. So all of your passions, as I think I said earlier, it seems like we always gravitate back towards what we're excited and passionate about. And so for my dissertation, I really could have written about anything, but it's interesting that I sort of landed on consumer behavior. Mm, yeah. Like you said, it, it, it really just all came full circle. Your interest in behavior and psychology and with the writing background, I mean, that all just feeds this PhD, it sounds like. And, you know, your, your writing is strong. And I'm sure that was a great asset for writing a thesis. Oh, gosh. Yes, the dissertation was never ending. My kids I were so young and I would only I would have a babysitter come and I would go ahead to like a coffee house and work on it. <laughs> they just thought I was working and working. And wow. when was it over? You know, and uh, they were so <laughs> we were all so excited when I was done. I could barely kind of defend it without crying. Because oh, I just felt like <laughs> such a sense of, you know, like it's finally done. So it was great. After all of all of this is said and done, do you feel like you sort of are in your dream position? Yeah, I mean, I think it keeps evolving for me. I'm never one to sit still, so I keep moving to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day how I wish I was a little more just complacent in life <laughs> and didn't want to always just keep moving on. So I think as long as I keep growing and keep doing new things, and I more so I think all of us in life are really put here to have a positive impact. And so that's sort of where I'm at now. I want to have um, just get to a point where I'm helping people as much as I can while I'm being intellectually stimulated at the same time. Where do you get all of this energy? I mean, it sounds like from the moment your kids are born, probably before that. I mean, how do you have this energy to pursue an MBA, a PhD? I mean, do you have like a great diet? Do you exercise? Do you read a lot? I, I do. I do read a lot and I do also exercise a lot. I uh, now, you know, I was going to a gym with uh, with a personal trainer. And ever since COVID, I've done virtual sessions, which have mm. really been great because I think all of us are getting a lot less exercise now than we did in the past. So it's really been, you know, a lifesaver for me. And I really recommend that people just take care of themselves in general it it really helps. But I think I've always sort of been naturally ambitious, almost too much. <laughs> so, yes, it comes together that way. OK, let me uh, shift gears a little bit. You've contributed many times to a, a few periodicals like um, Up Journey. Um, there's another. I think it's entrepreneur.com. Um, yes. But in particular, there was a couple. Again, you're so complex. I could we could probably talk an hour about any subject, but I sort of want to narrow the focus. You do a lot of, for lack of better terms, um, self-help sort of stuff. And you had written, you had contributed to an article about not taking things personally. Why is it 
that people generally are not good at taking criticism. Yeah, I think because, and I'm guilty of this myself, we can't separate it we, from ourselves. So we take it as an attack on ourselves when really often it's just meant to be constructive. It's meant to help us out. So I think the more we can be objective about listening to it and not getting defensive, the better off we'll be. And that feedback is always great for us, you know, as people just to kind of take it and really think about it. I try to always look at things and see, okay, what what is my behavior in this situation? How am I reactive? And try to remove yourself. And if you can do that, it's really great. Is it does it is it easy for everyone and does it come naturally? No. But I think the more that we can take it as a gift, because criticism really is a gift. It's, it helps you to improve and to get better. And maybe it's not always 100 percent accurate because people are mm. looking at you through their own lens. But there is always something that you can get from whatever someone has said to you. Yeah, I, I in particular am not very good with criticism and I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't, it's not like I go crazy or anything, but as soon as somebody tells me or just criticizes, I guess, and tells me how I can do something better, even though I know it's important to, um, hear that perspective, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to have your feelings hurt, you know, like it's just right. a gut reaction to feel like you're being attacked and that's that defensiveness you were talking about. What can uh, people, what are just some simple steps that say even I could take to, to better judge the criticism I get? So you can just step back. I mean, and you have to take it with a grain of salt too, because there's a lot of motivations. It could be someone's jealous or, or something. So you just have to kind of step back and really just separate, separate yourself from whatever they're saying and really just go back and analyze what your behavior, what it just depends what they're criticizing you on. So maybe, you know, you have a podcast and somebody's criticizing the way you delivered something. So maybe you go back, think about their feedback and listen to what they said and decide for yourself, you know, if, just look at it more objectively as if you were a listener, right? And see if it has any merit. And then maybe there's a little bit of it that's true and maybe not, but you have to decide for yourself. And I think just not let it knock you down right there's a lot of things that can knock us down but perhaps there is something that you could get from it maybe you know maybe they said you weren't talking loud enough or or whatever (laughs) you know just try to look at it more objectively i think that's the best thing to do and maybe ask others for feedback too see if they agree yeah i've been getting better at it i just recall uh probably especially when i was younger just having this physiological response you know like my head getting hot and just it, it hurting my feelings. Um, I am getting better with that over time. Do you think that being able to listen and accept criticism and, and look at it objectively, is that essential for most fields? You know, for instance, your sales position or a management position or working in higher ed, is that willingness to hear criticism essential for success? I really think so. And some people are just so really great at it. And I think the better you can become, the more successful you'll become. But it's difficult. I mean, I agree. I mean, I I believe everybody still has sort of that gut reaction, right, to criticism. But the more you can take in and take a step back, the better you'll be able to progress in your career. And it even happens to me if I find something happening where maybe an employee is acting kind of aggressively towards me or something, I have to step back 
and just see like what, okay, what could be bothering that person or what, you know, what, it, what are they trying to tell me really with what they're saying? And sometimes it's not face value what they're saying. There's more to it. And I think the better you are as a manager, as an employee, as a business professional at hearing that, even it could be a client that's telling you something, it'll it'll lead to your ultimate success the more that you can kind of listen to that feedback and really learn from it. But it, it's challenging. Yeah. And now that you're mentioning it, um, it's sort of criticism sort of even crosses over into our like our marriages and our friendships. Like, for instance, if I'm talking to my wife and we have a disagreement, um, it's very easy to get defensive and think she's trying to prove me wrong or th- or what have you. But I, I'm realizing how important it is to be able to have these difficult conversations that sometimes involve criticism. So if you immediately shut somebody down when they're criticizing you or trying to tell you how they feel about your behavior, uh, it can really go one of two ways. Either you shut them down and you don't listen to what they're saying or you listen to what they're saying and you try to take it in. Whether you know, you, you don't like don't we always want to be the best we can be? And, you know, if I'm hurting somebody's feelings or doing something wrong, you know, I, I should I should know about it. Yes, absolutely. It comes down to communication. You know, the more we can kind of remain calm and listen to what the other person is saying and ask questions if we don't quite get it. I think if we get defensive and we sort of get, you know, angry or we don't hear more, we might never really quite understand because it's not ever that simple. Right. So we have to ask questions to really understand exactly what they're telling us and their feedback. And people are all different. So they're looking at things from a different lens. So what they're experiencing might really not be accurate for what you're really doing or what Mm. you're feeling, but they're seeing it from their own perspective. So you have to kind of step back sometimes and just get in their shoes and then you'll understand it more. You had also contributed to an article for Up Journey about forgiveness and forgiveness is very hard sometimes. I, I find that um, there there's this concept called archived grievance. And it's just what it sounds like. Basically, if somebody offends you, your your wife, your spouse, your your friend, we t- we often tend to sort of keep those uh, hurt feelings in the back of our mind, even if we at the front of our mind say, oh, it's not a big deal. I forgive them. Um Sometimes those things are, are archived in the back of our minds. What what first of all, what is forgiveness? What what is forgiveness and why is it so hard for people to do? Yeah, it, it's really hard because, again, it comes down to ego and not understanding completely what happened and what transpired and not being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand maybe you're taking something that happened the wrong way. Communication is big there, of course, and I think just letting things go. There are some things that are absolutely horrible that'll happen to you that you don't have control over. And if you just hang on to them and are angry about them and sort of stew on them, you're really not hurting anyone but yourself. You really aren't. So if you can, you know, find it in your heart and in your mind to move past it, then it, it's really better for you because the more you kind of, you know, just linger on something, it really is not hurting the other person that you're upset with, right? It's just hurting you. So it's really not good to kind of sit in that spot. 
That's, uh, that's very true. I, again, it's a constant state of, um, or condition of evolving with people and ourselves. And I've noticed that when being upset with somebody, uh, whether it was a big deal or not, for instance, I don't know, having a disagreement with somebody or, or I feel like they did something to hurt my feelings. And then I spend the rest of the, of the day upset. And, and after an hour of being upset, you're right. You're only hurting yourself if you're letting your mind just wander and, and stew and, and, you know, you can practically see the steam coming out of your head. The only person you're hurting is yourself. Yes, absolutely. And so if it's something, you know, minor with a person or someone you're close to or, you know, someone you work with or someone you live with, really, I think diving into that conversation and getting to the bottom, because they might not even be aware that they hurt your feelings or that there is something that's happened. Because, again, people are looking at things completely (laughs) differently you know, as the participant or as the receiver or as the one who sent kind of the the negative message. So I think really just having a conversation, if it's a bigger issue where there's really been something wrong done to you and uh, really those kind of things, I mean, you definitely need to experience them and feel them. But I think the more you hold on to them, you know, the worse it'll be for you. For me, when my husband died, I was just so angry at a lot of things, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of stuff that happened mm. and it wasn't really until I let that go that I could kind of move on with my life. And I really learned that in a big way, just in my book, in my memoir, I talk about, you know, a lot of sort of self-help topics and, and what I walked away with from that experience. And one of them, one of the life lessons I would say is just know when to let things go because you really, you really do have to let things go, go that you can't change and, and sort of forgive the experience and move on. Yeah. How um I, I want to be sensitive about this. Your your husband did he he got in an accident, is that correct? And he passed away from it? Yeah, he was a pilot and he was in a helicopter accident and he basically left for work one evening and just never came home. So it was very sudden, very sad and, you know, obviously I had two little I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so it was just a big shake-up and a sad time for me. So I was really, obviously, really angry about that when it happened. Yeah, I, I assume you're still there's still some level of sadness that you that you feel, but in terms of that, um, the intensity and and how, yeah, just how intense that that time was. How how long was your your grieving period in terms of what was it months? Because, and I asked because for instance, my mom, when my grandfather passed away from cancer, her, her grieving period was like her in like intense and it lasted maybe two, three years. And, uh, and my mom, she's grown a lot since then, but I'm curious about you. How long was it really hard? I mean, because I know how, how awful that must've been for you. Yeah, the the thing about grief is it's so different for everyone, right? So it's hard to really say what the average person is. And some people have all of their grief sort of upfront and some people are sort of delayed. I was for a long time just in shock. Like, and, you know, I just almost couldn't even absorb what was happening to me, (laughs) to Mm -hmm. us. And uh, I sort of put myself in sort of that shock and 
would tell myself, oh, he's at work or whatever, just to, to get through. And having young children really kind of helped distract me. So it went on, you know, it still goes on. I mean, I still have moments of grief even now, and it's been 10 years, and I still wow. will go back to it. But um, I think even in writing my memoir, it was really therapeutic because I felt I, I went back and revisited everything that I was feeling during that time. And early on, I'd say it was a lot of shock for maybe the first year. And then the second and third year, I was kind of working things out, really. And I'd say... Past the third mm. year is when I started to really accept, okay, this, this has happened to me and I've got to kind of pick up and, um, it, it just would come in, in waves and even still does. I think even when we hit the 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I, I felt experienced that sadness again, you know, uh, to a large degree. So it just comes and goes. I mean, I think I've accepted, yes, I've lost my husband, but I think having, Two girls, I always have a hard time with, you know, they don't have their dad, right? That's something mm. I can't, I can't change for them and that I feel really sad about. And they were so young when it happened. Is it still a conversation? You know, how do you tell them uh, that what happened? You know, you said they were two and four. I wonder if you even, what you said to the two year old, if they can understand at that age. So I didn't tell the two year old because like you're saying, I didn't really think she had an understanding. I mean, in so many words, she knew sort of, she would say things, but it it wasn't like a a solid conversation. The four year old, my four year old, she definitely knew we had the conversation. Um, And she, uh, my husband's brother had passed away uh, earlier and I had, she had been talked, we had been talking about it and I had had, you know, as, as deep of a conversation you can with a four year old about him and what happens mm. and when someone dies, we don't see them any longer, but they're okay. So we had that whole big base conversation. So when it, when it happened, I would say, Hey, you know, remember I told you about your uncle. Daddy's going up to heaven now too. And, you know, and it was just very sad, but. We had already had like the heavy portion of that. I mean, obviously it's a very heavy, but so yeah. this is more, she had a better understanding than she would have otherwise. It was, it was sad. I mean, and the, I went to see a grief counselor right after that and her advice was, you know, your children still have a father. You have to keep them alive mm. through telling stories. And at the time I thought, that's terrible advice. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's not going to be there. You know, I, I don't like this at all. And I didn't understand, wow. but she was absolutely right because that's what I've done. I've tried as much as I can to tell funny stories. And even now I still interject stories so that they have a sense <sighs> of who he was and kind of in, know what he was like and what his personality was like in times that he spent with them. How did you meet your husband? How old were you when you met? And how old were you when you got married? So we met when I was 31 and we were both on vacation. So it's one of those kind of random (laughs) things (laughs) where we met each other on vacation in Key West. We kind of just stumbled into each other and, and we hit it off and we dated long distance for a while and then we got married. It was a year, a little, a year and a half later. So we got married pretty quickly because we were long distance and you know, it was, it's just one of those things, you know, you, you, it was meant to be because there we both were at the same 
place and, you know, we just really <laughs> hit it off. Do you remember who initiated the conversation the very first at the very first meeting? Did he walk up to you? Did you walk up to him? Yeah. So interestingly enough, his friend walked up to me (laughs) (laughs) and uh, introduced himself. And then he and I just ended up talking. So it was it was kind of a funny thing. It just um, it it was his friend who started it. So really, we we owe him that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're saying. Uh, his friend was the one who was sort of uh, putting the moves, so to speak. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then we sort of drifted off from there. So it was just kind of a group. I was with a group of friends, and he was with a group <laughs> of friends. So. Wow, so good. You know, it was a good thing that this uh, other person had some initiative <laughs> and some mojo or something. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Who knows what could have happened otherwise, right? Uh, do you feel like you've gotten to a point with, you know, in your grief and in the situation where you mostly think of the good times now as opposed to the painful times? Oh, definitely. I, I definitely have moved past, you know, really the the feelings of anger and sadness. I still think of the night I found out about it as the worst day night of my life. And I hope that it never, you know, I never have something that comes close, but I definitely do now think of all the good times. I think of the fun. He was really fun, kind of a gregarious guy telling me jokes all the time. And I still (laughs) think about things, you know, and uh, picture him like in on the jokes. So definitely I do. I do concentrate on that for sure. Yeah, he uh what what were some of his qualities that you know what made him a good man, an attractive man? What what was it about him that that you loved and loved so much? Uh he was really really smart, just fun, quick, you know. He was really <laughs> sweet side and it just, you know, one of those guys that or not guys, any any person really could be, but just someone that everybody wants to be around, right? That's that's sort of you know, it could be like if you were in school, maybe he's like the class clown kind of thing. And people just want to have, you know, just want to be around. Like, I always felt that I was this person people liked. And then <laughs> once he was around, it would be like, oh, hi, Charlene, where's Patrick? You know, so it, was like, it was kind of funny that way. But he was he was just, you know, really kind of good natured and, you know, up for an adventure and smart and just fun to joke around with. And, you know, we were good friends. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that that's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, and, uh, and, and actually it's, it's really, it's really awesome that you can funnel your experience and your feelings and everything you've learned into your, your teaching and your, um, what you wrote, your, your book. So it's really cool, um, that you can, turn something around like this that's very difficult and hopefully somebody who reads your book uh it's called own your other right your memoir yes own your other path in life so really the meaning of that is and that's one of the biggest sort of lessons i took from that is when when patrick first died i i really kind of hung on to the fact that i was from this you know we had this traditional family it was he and i and the two girls and we were doing, you know, the same things all the married couples in our circles were doing. And I couldn't quite wrap my my arms around my head around the fact that, no, I was a single mom now. Like I just 
that wasn't anything I ever hoped, you know, or, or really wanted. And I sort of fought it for a long time. I felt like, no, I'm just like everybody else, you know. I didn't want to be separated out. And and it wasn't till really I accepted that and owned it, like, okay, I am a single mom. I have to start thinking about things differently. This is my life now that I really started to do much better and kind of move forward in life. So that's really the point, the name of the book. And mm-hmm. I hope, you know, to help other people who might have a similar kind of change in life that this will help them sort of see that it's okay and that you can get through it. Yeah. I, I think you're a, a great um, influence. And I, I think that book will help a lot of people. I, I'm looking forward to reading that as soon as that comes out. Um, let me change gears a little bit. You've written or you've conducted a handful of these uh, interviews and it's a series you call inspirational women. Can you tell me about that? I, I, I've read through some of the interviews and some of the women are just so inspiring. Uh, what can you say about that series? So I just decided, you know, that uh, I really wanted to do something to lift up other women because I think sometimes with women, there can be a competitiveness, right? And I think men sort of are naturally better about helping each other, you know, <laughs> uh, not that women aren't, but there can be like, and I, I personally always feel I'm so happy for people when they're successful. And I like to hear those stories of women who've done great things and turn things around. So I just wanted to sort of celebrate some of these amazing women that I've known and uh, met and kind of tell their stories. So I decided to kind of interview them for that series. And it's been great even finding more about the people that I'm interacting with. Yeah. And so you, you sort of answered it, but I'm wondering it, why uh, strictly women? Do you feel that women are um, underrepresented or there it's just by coincidence that you just know all these great women? Um, yeah. What 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 pointed you in the direction of women in particular for for the series? I think originally it was that I feel like women are underrepresented. A lot of times we don't hear their stories. So that's why I started it. And I just was interacting with a lot of women. I think I've had men actually reach out to me <laughs> about being in there. And I thought, you know, I, I need to incorporate them at some point. Um, I sort of will probably keep with the inspirational women and then add men at some time, too, because I think men have a lot of great stories as well. Uh, but I, I sort of started this way and, you know, hearing some of the stories about what these women are doing and they're, it's just inspiring for me because I think women do need strong role models, right? I think, um, we see a lot of men in, in higher positions and leadership positions. So I think it's, it's helpful for women to see that as well and to see them overcome challenges and kind of move on. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. There's something to be said about representation. So, for instance, um, a, a friend of mine had posted about this short film, I think that Pixar or Disney put out on a Disney Plus, and it's about a gay a, a gay person coming out to his family and the whole it's like an animated short. And, you know, the family is sad that the son didn't feel like they, he could come to them and and so on. But what hit a nerve for my buddy is that he had never really seen 
a gay character portrayed like that and a family response portrayed like that, like in a Disney animation. And he felt so validated even at this age, you know, he's 30 or, you know, 30, uh, 32 or something. So even at this age, it's important to feel represented and the influence that representation might have had when he was younger, maybe he would have seen things a little differently. So uh, I'm sure that your series is inspiring tons of women. It, it actually reminds me that uh, I want to represent folks that normally aren't as well. So the past, I think four interviews have been just women. And I think I was actually inspired by uh, your series. So thank you for that. Oh, that's great. That's nice to hear. And I think I didn't touch on it earlier, but uh, with the book too, I think for single, you know, single moms, I think there's such a negative kind of stereotype with them in many cases in movies, like you're saying. And I think I want people to understand, you know, that a lot of women, they they didn't choose to be a single mom. It just life happens. Mm. Right. And so I think we just we all need a lot of understanding, not just about women, but about people in general that are in different situations. Yeah. In terms of uh, some of the women that you've interviewed, what stood out? Say, maybe you can give me an example of one particular woman. What, what's one thing that stood out um, about, say, one of the women that you interviewed that made you think like, huh, I really, I really want to find out more about this person. So Erin that I, Erker, that I just interviewed, she does uh, defense training for women. She's been trained in hand-to-hand combat. Wow. She's been in the military. I oh mean, I just God. thought that was so cool. And then she had been <laughs> named by a Mongolian witch doctor as strong woman. So I just thought, you know, this is not a story that we hear every day. It's just so inspiring that she's done all of this. So I thought that would just be great. And and some of the other women, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll choose to interview somebody and they don't necessarily get into exactly why I chose them in my interview questions. And I thought, oh, that's a missed opportunity sometimes. But, you know, there's been different things. There's been other women that have had, you know, uh, to reinvent themselves and say age 50 or something and wow. they lost their, their husband left them or, you know, other, other different things. They've overcome cancer. They've overcome a lot of different obstacles. And I think the more that women and people in general share their stories, they know that they're not alone, right? That other people mm. are going through the similar things. Yeah, totally. Uh, Aaron sounds like such a badass. Uh, <laughs> that, that is so cool. Uh, it's that cliche scene I'm getting in my head of a defense uh, trainer just, you know, beating beating the crap out of one of those, you know, or teaching <laughs> teaching women where to hit a, a, a person <laughs> to hit an attacker. She really is. And she's written a book and it's the main character in there is a, mil- a female from the military. And she's mm. really the same way, the main character. So I've read her book, too. And. I think that's great. And then, you know, it got me curious. And when I've gone on to people's websites to find out more of them, it, it even inspires me more because even, you know, I chose them. I didn't know everything quite about them until I really dug, dug in. And then I find out more and more. I thought these these people are so interesting. This is amazing. you know. Yeah. And I've one thing that I've really learned. Um, so I've done this is my fourth. No, not my fourth, my 24th interview. And I've 
re- I've really tried to push myself to talk to people that I normally wouldn't, maybe people that I would judge what I would have judged in the past. Um, and I'm it's very interesting what happens when you engage with somebody that you normally wouldn't have. Uh, for instance, the, the last interview I did, it was sometime this week. I had interviewed a sex worker who isn't particularly ashamed. She that it's how she makes ends meet. There's a whole story to it. And by talking to this woman for an hour, all of a sudden I'm sympathizing with her. I'm understanding her and people like her. And so just engaging with these people really shifts your perspective, I think, in, in the right direction. Definitely. And, and in my second book, the business book for entrepreneurs, it's about, you know, I, I have a section about boosting your innovation and creativity. And one of my suggestions is exactly that, talking to people that are different than you, because the more you do that, the more you expand your mind, the more you think of new possibilities, you see things from different perspectives and it gets you leading your thoughts in down a different path, which really helps you become more innovative and more creative. And I, I do that a lot when I'm struggling with something. I purposely call someone different than me and run mm. the problem or whatever it is by them. And they'll give you something that you never would have thought of. So I think the more in general we, we talk to different people, the better for us as people, right? We become better people. We understand more yeah. and we push ourselves too. Yeah, totally. It's um, yeah, th- I think that's great advice. It, yeah, that, that's a great idea. I, I love that idea of when you have a problem or if you're stuck on something to ask somebody different than you. And yeah, it, it only stands to reason that they would offer something that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. Um, and it really, my mind really has been opening so much lately with some of these interviews, just talking to people that I normally wouldn't have. And it, it just, I, I just feel like a better person. And I, I would also suggest that to anybody. Um, just in terms of your um, second book, the entrepreneur book, is it it's an entre it's an entrepreneur book for women, right? That's the target audience or not the audience, but that's the target person. That's right. the person you're it's, talking about. Right. It's a it's a mindset, entrepreneurial mindset for women. And it's, again, about the underrepresentation. More and more women are getting into entrepreneurship right now. It's an increasingly high rate. And women are turning to that as a way to kind of take control of their earnings, take control of their life. And it's different. The mindset shifts that they need to take are different than those for men. Like, as I mentioned before, I've been doing a lot of research, too, which has really been, you know, just been enlightening me. But, you know, men are more likely, for example, to self-promote than women. And women Mm. need to get better at those things. So it's a lot of support. Uh, And a lot of what I'm writing about, too, can apply to men as well. And. I, of course, enjoy working with both men and women, but this was more focused specifically on those areas that a woman would sort of need more assistance with, like to kind of keep moving forward. So it's been a really uh, intriguing project and it's been great to kind of funnel all that I've been working on. I've, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. I've talked to a lot of them. Now, lately, I've been also talking to a lot of people who've been sort of displaced right now by the current Mm. environment and are sort of looking to regroup and what's next for them. So it was really kind of fulfilling to put that book together. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait till these come out. I I would I'm I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting on you. So you got a fan already. Good. (laughs) Um, Thank you. 
What about, you know, what do you have to say about this? Uh, so for, for instance, how people perceive a male, uh, let's say a male manager as opposed to a female manager where when the male is, um, forthright and demanding, it's seen as, you know, authority and being a, and being a leader. Whereas when a female does it, it's like, oh, she's a, you know, a BI, TCH. Yeah. What, 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 what is there to be said about that? How, how can we shift our, I, I don't know. Yeah. What, what is your, what are your thoughts on that? So I've done a lot of research and a lot of studies have found exactly that, you know, there are more consequences. Women are seen differently uh, than that. I think, you know, the best thing that women can do is just to get more comfortable with standing up for themselves and just kind of bringing facts and just really promoting themselves and not to think about it negatively. I think the more that women kind of do that and, and take control and, and not feel bad, I think the key is just not feeling bad about standing up for yourself or, you know, promoting yourself. Mm. And I think until in general, everyone becomes more comfortable with that, then, you know, there can be those negative perceptions still. Yeah, that's, I, I recall when I had a, a female boss, um, I, I, I actually didn't care. Not that I'm like above anybody, but I didn't see her as really that different. I, I had the same respect and same thing goes with, uh, at, at our apartment complex, the manager, she's like a very tough woman, like a no nonsense sort of woman. Right. And for one reason or another, I just simply don't have any less respect for her than I would a man as far as I can tell. I mean, she's the manager, That's she's the cool. boss. Um, so someone did something right. My mother, my wife, I don't know. I don't know who. <laughs> they did. They both did. <laughs> so I, I know you do. I have just two more questions for you. I know you've done sure. a lot of um, contributing to like self-help articles and the books you're writing are in the service of other people, more or less. What rewards do you get from from doing this work for people? I've always been one. I really like people. I mean, I just like everyone. I like, I've always liked helping people. I think we're all here for a reason. We're all here to have the biggest impact we can, right? On, on those around us. And to give someone even a little bit of advice, you know, I'm not saying I have all the answers or, or that I'm perfect or, you know, everything I say and do is great. But even if I can help point someone in a new direction or give them a confidence boost, it's it's just really rewarding for me. Like I, I want people to do well. I want people to succeed. And the more that I can do that, the happier I am in general. I have just one more question for you, uh, Dr. Charlene Walters. You can answer it any way you like. Who are you? I am a mother. <laughs> I am an entrepreneur. I am a writer. I am just a person. I am someone who really, I consider myself a life enthusiast. And I feel like just based on my experiences, I feel like you have to get the most out of life you can. And that involves spending time with the people that are important to you that involves giving back and having a positive impact on others and also just enjoying life. I think we're all so busy, caught up on, you know, where we want to be in the future, what we want to achieve, what we want to accomplish, that we don't slow down and, and enjoy life. So I would say I'm all those things. I'm a combination of things. Um.